what subconscious belief is projecting out that maybe you're not aware of and it needs more delicate looking at. I'm always the one responsible for what's coming or not. And at first that might feel overwhelming and then it is like the most empowering thing. And just remember, your key out of this is in your pocket. From To Be Magnetic, this is The Expanded Podcast with your host, Lacey Phillips. As the leading destination for neural manifestation, we dispel the woo-woo in order to help you create real, tangible results based on neuroplasticity, psychology, epigenetics, and energetics. Our goal is to normalize the practice of manifestation and empower you to get into the driver's seat of your life in order to manifest the experiences, relationships, and things that most align with your authenticity. Part of our manifestation process entails expanding past your limiting subconscious beliefs. Therefore, by tuning into this podcast with interviews from experts, thought leaders, spiritual teachers, scientists, and those with neural manifestation success stories, you're starting the process of expanding your subconscious in order to see to believe that anything you desire is possible. And by pressing play, the process begins. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Expanded Podcast. Jessica here. I'm so excited for today's episode. This is one of these episodes that we kind of started talking about in house. We're like, what are we, what is the advice we give for the people that just can't get out of their own way? We've all been there. You know, what is the tip for how to really take a look at, oh my gosh, this pattern keeps popping up. Why do I keep doing this? And how do I just stop? this cycle that I don't want to be doing anymore, whether that's as internal as, you know, not going on your phone as much or breaking the cycle of not being able to exercise the way you want to create a new habit, or maybe it's in the cycle of I keep entertaining these people and these toxic relationships that I know are not for me, but I can't seem to step away. We're finally going to give some psychology and manifestation advice for why you're in this sort of pattern and how to start breaking out of it. So today we are covering how to get out of your own way and to actually manifest. So we have on EMDR and licensed marriage and family therapist, Janelle Nelson on with Lacey and I to really break this down for you. And one thing I just want to note is one of the barriers to getting out of your own way and actually making a change in your life, there are a lot of different components that play into that, right? So our mental health is a big one. And one of the ones that we talk about in the episode specifically is depression and anxiety. But I just want to make the note and sort of kind of disclaimer here that it's not just these things that are in the way of making us take these changes. A lot of times there are other mental health components at play. So whether you're someone that, you know, is neurodivergent or someone that identifies as being bipolar or has a personality disorder or, you know, there are many, many, many different things that also could play a factor into why it is difficult to get out of some of those deep-rooted patterns. Doesn't mean that you can't. It just means that it might be a different way of navigating how to do it. 
And so in the episode, we break down really tangible tips for anyone, no matter where you were at in this process, no matter what mental health state you're in, just some really practical ways that you can start to even just acknowledge and take one baby step forward towards what you are wanting to be in alignment with and away from the things that you are no longer in alignment with. And stay tuned for the outro. I'll give kind of a a summary for all of that as well. And one fun note for anyone who is in the LA area this upcoming Saturday, September 17th, we are doing another in-person magnetic meetup. This time it is going to be at a nice, beautiful, bougie hotel in Beverly Hills, getting the full LA experience. We have some incredible healthy bites for you. There is a five-star Michelin chef who's going to be providing some food and bites and treats for us. And we're really diving into this concept of resentment. It comes in every shape and form. Even if you don't think you're resentful for things, I promise you deep down there's something that you're harboring resentment on. And resentment really takes the place and space of manifestation. So how can we start to look at it, clear it, move through it, and then create massive, massive space for manifestations to come through? You'll get talks from Lacey, Janelle, who is in this episode, and TBM coach Amanda Blair. So if you guys are interested and you're in town, be sure to check out the link in the bio. And for anyone that might be traveling out of town, we do have a little hotel block with the peninsula of Beverly Hills, which is where we're hosting it. So you can stay at the hotel and then come down for the event. And here's a little insight on some of the new offerings from Janelle. jump into the episode today, I just wanted to share some of the new offerings that we have with EMDR therapist Janelle Nelson. Welcome, Janelle. Hi, thank you. So I really wanted to highlight this and we kind of released this under the radar over the summer, especially because you don't have a ton of bandwidth in your sessions because you have your own therapy and EMDR practice. But we released two different TBM specific sort of options to work with you. One is the unblocking session and one is the manifestation EMDR intensive. So the unblocking session, really, it's not a therapy session, not an EMDR session. It's essentially using your gift to get to the root of a block very quickly and unblock. Kind of similar what you would get in a coaching session, but this is more curated around one specific block and what actions you can take on the other side. How have those sessions been going, Janelle? How are you feeling about that? Well, first of all, I love working with the TBM community. It's just so aligned and so fun for me because you all are just ready and willing just to to do the work and you're just ready to dive in, which has been so sweet. But those have been really powerful. I've had some people where they've done an unblocking session with me just to see if it's a good fit and kind of even map out what an intensive would look like. It's almost more of like a manifestation coaching session of maybe where they're stuck in any way just to kind of help get to the root of something. And the perk also about these unblocking sessions is they could be anywhere in the world, correct? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And people can just go through the website on the, my website, wholenesscollective.com and the TBM tab, and they can just book it themselves. They don't have to call or submit a form. They can just literally book it and it's all through Zoom. 
Amazing. Okay, so that's a really good opportunity for anyone out there who does want to work with Janelle, who wants to go through their blocks. Again, not a therapy or EMDR session. This is just really an unblocking session, and it's available for anyone at any place in the world. Then when you're actually able to use your therapy license for EMDR, we have the manifestation EMDR intensives. And What we really got to the root of here is we wanted to create an offering that really got to the point and hammered through a specific theme that was coming up with anyone in the TBM community. So we have those core wounds, we have those blocks that you really just need, like, how do I really work through this in the most impactful, powerful way? And when we were talking with you about how typical EMDR therapy works, I mean, there could be many, many, many sessions of resourcing. Then you have the sessions of the actual EMDR treatment. And then post EMDR treatment, you know, you're talking about potentially 10 sessions plus, et cetera, you know, really working through that thing. And we're like, what if we married all those sessions together and had an option where people could do that whole process. But instead of three to six sessions, they have a three hour or six hour session where they can really just focus on that one block, move through it with EMDR and get to the other side of that deep healing. And the cool thing with these, which I'm also thinking about, you know, my therapy process and how I've worked with my therapist. But in every therapy session, you have like that warm up period where you're buffering out of the work day or the social day or whatever it is into the therapy session, which takes a bit of time. And then you kind of warm up and then kind of towards the middle is when you get to the meat of the therapy. And then you also have to have a wrap up of like, okay, let's de-escalate whatever emotional state you're in, set you up so if we don't meet for another week or two weeks, then you'll be good to go. But the beauty of these sessions is if you think about that for like three sessions in a row, that's like 10, 15 minutes beginning, 10, 15 minutes ending. You only have to do that once for these intensive. So you're saving 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30, each time you're doing this intensive. So you only do that warm up once, the closing once, and really the meat of the session, you're getting that whole time to really dive into the unblocking. Right. It cuts out all the fluff. Yeah, a hundred percent, which is why, you know, these are high price point intensives and they have to be done in person in California. But I think it's just really beautiful that there's this like really heavy hitting intensive These are definitely like a very sacred day. You want to enter in kind of with an open heart. And usually like the first hour of an intensive, it's just mapping out, okay, what are your manifestation goals? Where are you blocked? Where do you want to be? And we kind of map out not just one core narrative by like, okay, what are our first, secondary, what are the biggest intention of the day? We want to clear out this, this, this. And when you go into EMDR, you do kind of enter a meditative state and it can be a very spiritual experience where you're kind of really entering in and doing a lot of clearing. And so usually like for the full day intensive We'll map it out. We'll usually do the very biggest core block in the morning. We take an hour lunch. My office is right by the beach. 
And then they come back and it's like, okay, that big one's cleared. Okay, now what? Now what next? What next? And just to get, and we honestly try to hit as many targets as we possibly can. And when people have left, it's one of those things where I kind of liken it to like, you've done a really intense workout. You're tired, but you feel really strong and empowered and good. Like usually it feels like people just like dropped 50 pounds of emotional weight and they're usually just like so light. Like you can just see their spirit is light. They are smiling. So almost like so proud of themselves. Like they did this big work in clearing. They're tired, but but in a really good way. Or if they have trouble passing a test or they seem, they keep attracting the same partner or they keep finding themselves in a similar dynamic where they just can't kick it. Most TBM clients, it's not like, it's trauma therapy, but the majority of the targets we're doing, it's more like attachment trauma. It's more inner child work and doing really big clearings around that to then free them up where they're no longer looping in that subconscious negative belief and they can choose differently from a place of ease. They don't have to try to pass the test. They'll just pass the test because they're just in their worth. Yeah, absolutely. And you use the light bar, correct? Yeah. So of course I can do virtual therapy with California residents, but honestly, the machine I have in my office, I have a light bar with also pulsers. And so it just gives very, very deep bilateral stimulation, which is, you know, EMDR stands for eye movement. So when I do virtual, I can really only do tapping where the eye movement along with the, with the pulsers allows for like the deepest, quickest integration to move out of your trauma. So that's why it's in person. We are just so excited to bring this offering to you guys. And just so, I don't know, I just love all the different modalities and techniques that there is out there to move through this work. And and the more that we can kind of connect you guys to it and help facilitate the spaces in which healing can occur is just, I'm so excited by that. Me too. Amazing. Well, we will link the Wholeness Collective Therapy in the show notes. Again, you don't have a lot of availability. Yeah. So I, I'm not taking on, you know, any more like regular weekly clients, but I am booking these intensives. So there shouldn't be a wait list for that. I'm really wanting to be more intentional with it. So yeah, just go ahead, reach out and I can definitely start those. Thank you so much, Janelle. And we're so, so excited for everyone to just unblock deeper and honestly just get to work with you because you are just so on the nose, like from your background and your own insight, intuition and gifts, you really can nail those blocks and get to the root of it. And also such a gentle way. Sometimes when people can point out blocks, I know I'm a bit more sensitive and I'm like, ah, what? <laughs> but when you when you do it, it's so gentle and it feels like a nice hug. It's like, oh, okay, we're going to look at this, but it's okay to look at it and it feels safe. So I just love that about you and your approach. Oh, very sweet. Thank you. All right, guys, go book and enjoy the episode. So I'll kick off with a quote here because we always do in these types of episodes, but stop negotiating your non 
non-negotiables. And what really kind of started the idea for this podcast episode was some of the team and I in-house were all kind of talking about witnessing friends and peers and family members settling for those same dynamics again and again, but knowing that they want something different and sort of making excuses for the situation or not taking that action step, self-sabotaging, getting in their own way. And we're like, what are some ways we can wake people up to how they are not getting out of their own way? They're settling for their own bullshit, so to speak, and allow them to see that change is possible and that they can totally do it and have whatever they want and manifest that. And today we have on Janelle and Lacey. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited today to really hear through a therapeutic lens of how to navigate this because I actually have zero tolerance about this. Myself personally, I find that I will be in the same kind of little rut or rock bottom for just a small amount of time. Usually it's totally out of laziness, but I don't actually like to sit in those spaces long and I get out of them pretty quickly. And I have a very, very low tolerance prior with clients, with myself, with family members. Like, I guess it's a projector thing. I don't know. But when I see people that continue in the same pattern, I'm like, don't come to me. Don't talk to me. I don't want to hear about it until you're ready to make a change. Like you're wasting your time and energy. And I think where that comes from is growing up around a lot of addiction and realizing at a very young age, there's nothing I can do to change somebody else. They have to want to change. So I'm really actually curious to really kick this off with you, Janelle, in here because it'll help me develop some compassion, which I think my like zero tolerance is just a protection. You know, it's all subconscious, shadowy stuff. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I, I was actually thinking about that going into this conversation of just compassionate inquiry. So I, I definitely want to get into that today. So let's just kind of run through a checklist of like some ways we can start to spot that you might be in your own way. So one very obvious one, the same tests are repeating over and over again, or the same dynamic person, energetic, keep showing up, but your response to it is the same or it's not evolving. You might make excuses for why this dynamic is different or worth putting up with this time, but it's still not presenting as what you desire. You might be stuck in the fantasy of what could be versus what's actually presenting. So big, the dream. Yeah, like the dream that like, okay, well, maybe this time it'll be different or this time this person will change or this time this, you know, job or whatever will be different when you're not looking at the facts of what's actually happening. You might be minimizing the impact that continuing to settle for this dynamic is. Basically, you're just saying like, oh, yeah, I'll change that tomorrow. I'll change it tomorrow. Not thinking that each day that you're saying tomorrow, you're missing out on opportunities now. And then really the truth of underneath all of it is deep down, you really know and want and deserve more, but you keep settling. You feel shame. You feel small about the situation. It's a test, but you keep running into the fire. Or like the person I'm thinking of who I see this the most in in my life, it's that they feel overwhelmed. Like they don't know how to change it. The steps feel so big and they don't have the patience to take step by step, realizing that every single small step adds to the big change. So that's just something that I'm thinking of too, when I can see like energetically why They're not getting out of their own way, but we'll get into, I'm sure through you, Janelle, many reasons behind this. 
So Janelle, I kind of want to kick it over to you here too. We can dive into the neuroscience of it, but from your psychology perspective, where have you seen this pop up with people? What backstory have you seen of why people maybe fall into this pattern? Yeah, a number of things come to mind. You guys know I, I like geek out over Gabor Mate and all of his all of his research and compassionate inquiry is just so fascinating to me. Actually, what's so interesting is you mentioned addiction and there's a book that he wrote called In the Realm of Hungry Ghost. And that book, it just completely shifted my paradigm as far as why people act the way they do. Why, why are they stuck? Why do they not move forward? Yeah, childhood trauma. He like he was yeah. like one of the first people to be like, if the twelve steps aren't totally working yeah. for you, there's a little bit of a deeper reason why. Uh, exactly, exactly. You know, first of all, actually, I shared this with Jessica last week. But with that said, there's my favorite Elizabeth Gilbert quote, and it's, "I've never seen any life transformation that didn't begin with the person in question finally getting tired of their own bullshit." Mm-hmm. And I love that. But I think there's that paired with that compassionate inquiry of like, gosh, why can't I leave this relationship? Why do I keep putting on with this this boss that I need to leave? Really compassionately going deeper with ourselves, I think can actually soften us to move forward versus if we're just bullying ourselves and shaming ourselves to leave a situation or change a dynamic, we don't. And there's layers to this, right? Like I think of just people being on that spectrum of some are more run anxious and some run more depressed. And I see a lot of times with my clients that run more anxious, like sometimes they're paralyzed in fear and don't move forward. But a lot of times, actually, they're the ones that their kind of high functioning anxiety gets them moving a lot quicker versus the ones that run more low. And a lot of those times, those people are just They're just doing what they can do just to survive their day. And they don't have that capacity to, you know, metabolize or mobile, like have that mobilization energy to change. And a lot of people have very, honestly, high functioning depression where they're almost like, I'm thinking of Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore with that little gray cloud over their head, or Mm -hmm. it's called dysthymic depression, where it's this very low grade, long-term depression. And they really just thinking of the capacity to, you know, how am I going to resource and change and all these other things? It's like, they don't have the space for it. So sometimes it's like, okay, I'm tired of this bullshit, but what else is going on with me? Oh, I have low grade depression and I'm just doing the best I can every day. So this test is overwhelming and I need to help resource my depression first. And when I do that, then I have the capacity to change and do what I know I need to do. So I think that's a big piece of it. I mean, I've seen that over and over and over again in over a decade of therapy, like just watching clients, once they get resourced for depression, boom, 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 they have the capacity to change. I'm thinking of the two people in my life specifically who are sort of high functioning, but this is their exact thing. Like if they could resource those, they could actually find the energy probably to put one foot in front of the other. Exactly. So, and that person is usually in a shame pit. You know, they just are like, why can't I get out? Why can't I? I know better. I know better. I know better. Why can't I do it? So when you can kind of eliminate the shame of like, oh, wow, depression is a real, very real, very physical thing. And then lovingly move, okay, okay, what support do I need to move through that? I think that's where you start. 
And that makes so much sense, too, because if you think of like the neuroscience of how to change your brain, essentially, when you have an old pattern that you're settling for, your brain knows what it is. It knows how to store it. It knows what to come next. It's not having to work very hard to go into that situation. So if you're depressed and processing other really big emotions, your brain's not going to be like, hey, let's just use up a ton of energy to create a whole new pathway. But when you're trying to make that change, it's a new situation. It's like, okay, how do I respond? How do I assess the threats of this new situation? How do I figure out how to take the most effective route? What if things don't work out? Do I have an alternate? Like your brain is kind of scrambling through a million checkpoints and working really hard. And it's also like we've heard Dr. Tara say, it's physically exhausting. during this process. So Mm -hmm. it makes so much sense that if someone is just trying to brute force through this action without addressing any big emotions or big mental states that might be in the way of that, they have to address that first. I have a question really quickly. It's a little bit of a tangent, but it's like an in-between of what both of you are saying. I just, I'm trying to remember the source, but I saw recently that, is it true that in new research, we've found that we've been given like the falsity that depression is a brain chemistry imbalance. Am I crazy there that like, that's why SSRIs don't uh, completely correct it? Or I, I don't know, I just wish I remember the source, but I feel like you would have a little bit closer of access to that, Janelle, because I'm trying to think like through the bridge of the two, right? If that is true, that it's not totally a brain chemistry imbalance, like the serotonin story, et cetera. And then also trying to create a new neural pathway of a habit that seems like it would be even more challenging. Yeah. You know, there's so many different opinions on it. And I mean, there's hormonal depression. There is something about people that have low serotonin and it starts in the gut. I'm a big fan of neurofeedback, you know, so that's more with the brain. There's also just the psychoanalytic dynamic perspective of anger being turned inwards and all of that. I'm also a person that has dealt with hypothyroid for years, right? So for me, I'm like, oh, it's time for my medication adjustment. If I'm feeling a little low, that's what it is for me. And then I get my medication adjustment and I'm I'm back to myself, you know? So there's so many, there's just a lot of different, perspective out there on it. And I think there's truth in in all sorts, you know, but it it could go on and on. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, whenever I'm experiencing depression, it's always hormonal based and I can tell right away. Yeah. So yeah, that's interesting. But anyways, a total, total tangent, but I was just thinking it would be, yeah, just interesting the bridge between the two of the neuroplasticity and the brain chemistry. You know, if this is one of the, the big hurdles to being able to put one foot in front of the other to make change. And I say, I would tell the person that's listening to this that is resonating that they do have depression. There's a lot of treatment options out there. And I know that TBM kind of attracts a more natural crowd. Uh, neurofeedback is, is fantastic. That doesn't use any medication. There's also a neurotransmitter profile test that you could go through your naturopath and do, and you could do supplements to help balance and support if you really don't want to do medication. And then there's a test that you can get through your psychiatrist that I don't know what it's called. It's like a swab test, but it basically matches you up with every single SSRI to see which ones your body likes and which ones your body doesn't like. If you want to go, I don't, I don't want to guess. And you can start really slow and build that up and all of that. So 
there's options out there of how you want to handle it, you know, and then obviously working with a therapist too, just to start, just because there might be just some shifts and blind spots that, that once those are moved, it's like, that's it. I think actually depression in some cases is really easy to treat. For some people, it's very easy when it's just like there is just a, like a therapeutic block that needs to be worked through and some it's more body-based. I love those resources. Thank you for sharing all of those. Yes. So helpful. Yeah. It's sounding too kind of like when we had Dr. Vora on, when she would talk about anxiety, she's like, there are internal psychological issues, like spiritual, emotional stressors that can cause that anxiety. But then there's just physical symptoms in the body. And it sounds like depression runs pretty similar. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting because I think for me, whenever I feel depressed, there's always an emotional block. Mm. There's something I haven't looked at, something I've been avoiding looking at. There's always something there for me, but that's just how it presents for me, which is interesting. Yeah. Okay. So someone who's going through this, they identify with some of these, you know, okay, yes, I'm in this position. Great. I might be depressed. Let's look into these resources. Okay. Awesome. Once they feel like they have a handle on that and they're ready to jump in and really make that change. So one of the things from James Clear, Atomic Habits, which I love this book, he talks about the cue, craving, response, reward. And that's how your brain is wired to make a better choice or habit. So I'm going to pull up an example that we have from in the community. So this person won't stop running into the fire in the same red flag relationship. This person is in an on-again, off-again relationship for years where they feel super connected on the phone, but every time they see each other in person, the other person gets cold feet, runs away, he keeps coming back, and each time she makes an excuse for him, maybe this time it'll be different, this time he, he'll have change. And the only thing that he's consistently demonstrating is that he keeps running away and she keeps running into the fire. So this person needs to basically see they're in this habit cycle. Their cue is they connect on the phone. They start to crave connection with them. The response is, oh, they're in town. Oh, I have a reward of this connection. But then they're left with this kind of messy aftermath. But if we think about creating the new neural pathway, which is I'm going to say no to this person and hold out for basically something better or something more aligned, we kind of move into like a magic dark phase where the reward comes, but it comes further down the road. And it's like we keep choosing this short-term reward for something we know in the long term we don't want versus building our trust muscle, moving through that magic dark of the manifestation process and waiting for like that ultimate reward of what we want. Well, this is so interesting, Janelle, because obviously I'm no therapist, but just thinking of this person as a client, I have a feeling I know exactly who this person is. (laughs) But, you know, like through a therapeutic lens, for instance, would you say that this is a very classic attachment avoidant style and that there might be a little bit of an addiction there to that dynamic that needs to kind of be worked through before they can truly start to say no? Yeah, absolutely. And also I was thinking, I'm like, oh, this person's stuck in the bargaining phase of grief. There's this whole like seven phase, I think it's seven phase, yeah, grief cycle. But there is a bargaining phase that people can get really locked into 
where they're just like looping, right? And they haven't moved to that final place of acceptance. And then in that bargaining phase, we don't have to fully face our fear of scarcity. And so, yeah, there is a little bit of, uh, yeah, you could say like a love addiction cycle there too, right? That crash and all the things that come up with attachment styles as well. But for this person, I would say, you know, sometimes if they, for whatever reason, whether it's depression or a number of things, or they're stuck in the bargaining phase, sometimes if we go, okay, I know I have to pass this test and I know I need to leave, but they are not there yet. I would say, okay, you kind of have to meet yourself where you're at and what's a, I mean, I don't mean to be cheesy, but like a baby step where you could go, okay, they decide in their head, okay, I know I'm going to leave. I'm not going to do it today or I'm not going to do it next week, but I know I'm going to leave. And then it's like, okay, you know, versus fighting with yourself. Like, I don't have to do it yet, but I am going to do it. You have to beef up. I would say beef up your healthy emotional attachments elsewhere. So instead of hanging out with him this night and this night, I'm going to start resourcing new friendships or a new yoga group that I go to that night or a new whatever I go to, to start beefing up relationships to help you transition, especially if it's an attachment issue, because maybe you've kind of been in a little, you know, relationship island, right? And so to leave that fully without any other resources outside that are really built up and secure feels too scary. So maybe it's like these little baby steps to help then transition you out where you can make that jump and fully pass that test. The other question I have, because I think those are phenomenal, actually, that friendship, resourcing, et cetera, relationship, I think is such a huge, I hope people really heard that, that might be identifying with this, because I think that's so big to actually getting yourself out of this pattern. But in order to do those effectively, if I'm thinking who this person might be and knowing a little bit about their prior very long-term relationship. It was one that also their needs weren't ever getting met and they weren't being seen. The best way I can say is like being leached for their good energy. So don't you think that they would have to really address why they're so attracted to emotionally unavailable people for them before they can even pass the true test or before they see like that just gets back to like the true TBM work. If you're in one of these loop cycles, you really do have to take inventory. Is this a one-off, a singular situation, or have you been in, have most of your formidable relationships or job boss dynamics or whatever, have they mimicked this kind of getting back to Jessica's examples at the top of not being able to get out of your own way? Is this a pattern? Because though this person continues to flee, they're avoidant at the moment, things become a little bit more intimate beyond the phone at this point. They're just showing that they're emotionally truly unavailable. Like they cannot, because of their own trauma and wounding. But if this is a recurring pattern, in order to even have those resourcing tips you just gave actually work and help get to the next step, they do have to address the root. Yeah, they have to identify it. They have to call themselves out of go, okay, what's happening here? Well, I don't think I'm worthy of somebody that is emotionally available. So I'm settling for breadcrumbs when I know I deserve, well, I I don't believe I deserve a full meal yet. And so, yeah, they do have to go to the root of like, where, where did they pick that up? And then obviously heal that root. And then from there, meet themselves where they're at to then pass the test. Thousand percent. Yeah. Thousand, thousand percent. 
And that's why I think the key of this whole, you know, getting out of your own way, what are those things that keep presenting because there is a big root. There's a big, you know, we're we're manifesting from our subconscious beliefs. So what subconscious belief is projecting out that maybe you're not aware of and it needs more delicate looking at? One way I like to kind of phrase it or frame it is like, okay, if this is what's coming up for me again and again and again, what must I be believing about myself in order to be settling here? Yes, because even if this is, again, (laughs) the person that I'm thinking of the (laughs) dynamic, they are like the most sparkly, magical, dynamic, energetic, one of the most I've ever met in my life. And for that person to continue attracting in these relationships that don't at all meet their needs and aren't at all at the same dynamic level, that had to have been picked up somewhere at a root that that's what they believe they deserve. You manifest what you believe you deserve on a subconscious level. So in order to even like have the test begin to be better than the, mm-hmm. the you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because we all know, and the universe very much knows this with this particular um, dynamic in person. I, I'm just getting a little more specific because I think it can benefit a lot of people. The universe also knows that they deserve their equal, but they cannot give it to this person until they unblock that belief that I don't deserve my equal that's as sparkly as I am. And until they start passing the tests and taking aligned action, and it really, really comes down to unblocking that belief as first. And then all of these tools that you're suggesting, Janelle, can really, really be beneficial. And I think when you get to the root and you know it in your bones, that's when you can move forward. If you're unsure what your root is, it's really hard to especially leave an attachment. Really, really, really hard. So you have the space to do it once you actually go, okay, this is really about this. This is so, this is a whatever, but I'm just thinking it as a resource for somebody, but Becoming the One, Shalina Ayana, I think is her name, The Rising Woman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, love her. my God. Her book is all this stuff, like might be just, and again, another resource for somebody, but it, it feels so aligned with the TVM stuff. I just feel like somebody would really resonate with how she words it to help anchor in and address these core things. Oh, yeah. I feel like I, for like years and years ago, she had posted about avoidant and anxious attachment. And I was like, what's that? And that I think she, that was the first person I ever had learned that. And then I went down the rabbit hole of like, oh my gosh. But yeah, I think she was like the first person I ever saw share about that. That's really cool. We'll definitely link it. Okay, so let's go through another example here. So This person is in a toxic job, but they cannot seem to pull themselves away. So this person comes from a family of wealth, works in a corporate world where she's overworked and underappreciated. She literally breaks out into hives before every presentation. So her body is reacting like this is not the place for me. While working here, she hasn't had time for a social life or dating and her health and mental health continue to decline. She's so afraid to leave because of what others might say about her. Is she a quitter, ungrateful? Is she going to be a rich kid living on her parents' dime? She keeps making excuses for the horrible job and circumstances so she can put off leaving a bit longer. So how would we kind of help this person navigate through this, knowing that her block really is, well, I have to settle for this job because I have to prove my worth to my family? 
Yeah. And it feels like shadow really more than anything. Yeah. I was going to say. Yeah. Her fear of, oh, they think I'm an ungrateful or a quitter. All of that is really like her own shadow where she, I would do the shadow workshop for that just to help Kerrigan and Stuck. There's also some societal stuff to look at there. Uh, Like I know a couple of people come to mind who come from wealth and there is a big societal, very clear undertone messaging And it all comes down to, you know, things like envy, we all know, but that if you have money, you're different. I'm maybe envious of you. Basically, you start to shrink. It's really isolating if you're in society and you have that because it's unique and not many people have it. And it just really gets back to, I think, very like old, old root mentality. Like I'm even thinking of like times of peasant and great where there was like even crazier wealth gaps and lifestyle differences. But I know the people that I know who still have that as their main Achilles heel when I would work with clients, especially, and their main block um, until you really address that you are deserving of and it's fine and it's okay like that shadow of wealth from societal messaging everywhere it will continue to be a block in your life on all of the fronts of relationship so not only looking at the family dynamics of the messaging around the money but also really taking a look at societal messaging around it that's such a good point i definitely have a few friends who who do that because i think there's also this element of well, I didn't earn that money, so I need to show that I'm worthy of earning my own that's separate. And also, I don't want to be categorized with, you know, spoiled rich kid or any mm-hmm. of those sort of like societal labels people put on others. So big, so important. One other thing I, I want to kind of highlight, too, in these examples, okay, as this person's unblocking that, You know, like Lacey, you had mentioned in the beginning, the one degree or the 1% difference every single time. And so when you're thinking of, oh, how do I leave this job? It's so scary. Start to think of like micro ways that things are tests, right? So you could think of like, when you are out with friends in, in a job field that maybe interests you, sharing that you're open to looking at jobs in new places. That could become a test for you to just talk about, ooh, I'm kind of interested in potentially changing careers so you can start to expand. Where are the ways that you can put yourself out there or research other ways? So then that way, when you're creating that new neural pathway for a new, more aligned job, it's not zero to 100. You're starting to bit by bit expand and take those aligned action steps to get closer to it. Agreed. I think, you know, it just really gets back to that. Anything you do that emits any fear inside of you is an act towards magnetism. So anywhere that you can see that's small, you know, that you can start, like Jessica saying, to just take one step in that direction, you are going to automatically create magnetism because you're afraid of it. So the unblocking piece is so important along the way, getting to the root of why and how, and there might be many of those. (laughs) It's like thinking of the people I know. That's why it feels so overwhelming. But that two-part, you know, unblocking, taking aligned action, unblocking, taking aligned action is going to be so, so, so big, no matter how small to how big in this process. 
one other thing to bring up James Clear again, but I thought it was so in tandem with our work, but he had mentioned one of the reasons it's really hard for people to make a change is they make outcome-based habit changes versus identity-based. And that's getting back to that subconscious root, which is identifying as someone who doesn't settle in a job or a relationship or identify as someone who like won't put up with this sort of behavior instead of saying, I'm going to get out of this dynamic. It's not just that dynamic. It's that dynamic or anything like that. You know, even if you take a behavior such as exercise, if you're like, I'm going to exercise every day. Okay, great. But if you then identify as, oh, I'm someone who prioritizes fitness, you're way more likely to stick to that routine because it's congruent with yourself. He talks a lot about like when your behavior is not congruent with what your internal self-belief is, it won't last. So that subconscious self-worth is so important. And I would, going back to kind of just what we've been talking throughout of just like these little steps for the person that's like, okay, I I really want to get my body strong and they don't have, like they are kind of paralyzed with, okay, but I can't do an hour workout. There's no way. Then I would say, start with the 10, 15 minute ones. Just meet yourself where you can. And out of that space, you, you build and have more capacity to actually to do it. And you could take that analogy with anything. So I'm quickly interrupting this episode to invite you if you're ready to start your manifestation journey or if anything you've heard in our manifestation episodes has piqued your interest to begin. We have a la carte workshops in everything from the basics bundle, which is what we recommend to everyone who starts. It's the formula that actually teaches you how to manifest, unblocked inner child and unblocked shadow. We also have a la carte workshops on love and money. But the real gem is the Pathway membership because it encompasses every single workshop we have. It's a year-long membership with full access to the few a la carte offerings we have and exclusive workshops not available anywhere else, such as the daily practice, which is what everybody in the Pathway uses, hopefully at least three times a week to daily in order to truly create the new neural pathways that one needs in order to manifest and houses the library of our deep imaginings, which is our unique hypnosis process that allows you to get into your subconscious and overwrite those old neural pathways, creating the new ones. You can use our special code EXPANDED, all caps, E-X-P-A-N-D-E-D, to receive $20 off your first a la carte workshop purchase or $20 off your first month of the pathway. Again, that's all caps, EXPANDED, E-X-P-A-N-D-E-D. Okay, now back to the episode. Okay, another example. So fear of abandoning others at their own expense. So this person has been in a sexless relationship for four years with someone who has a lot of his own trauma and mental health issues. He's also dishonest and has addictive tendencies. Seeing all the hardship and trauma he's dealt with, this person feels badly about leaving the relationship because they don't want to abandon him during their time of need, but this person never seems to change and is not getting their needs met. 
I'm too opinionated for this. I'm going to let you take this one. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh, I'm just like, oh, my heart is just like codependency, like just codependency of let's keep the peace, but they're compromising their own internal peace and they don't want to abandon him. It's like, what about them? What about them? They've been unloved for four years and none of their needs are getting met, but they're only seeing this other person. They're not seeing themselves. So that's just, that's just like, you know, a deep rooted codependency. So funny, but I'm thinking of my, my old therapist who was amazing. But for me, when I was stuck in codependency, she'd be like, in a very lovingly way, tell me like, you just let your little girl run across the street and she got hit by a car. And I'm like, she did. It's like, (laughs) when are are you going to love your little girl? I'm like, I know, you know, so it was for me, that's, it's that person, just all the inner child uh, work to heal and deep, deeply love yourself. So you don't, you don't self-abandon anymore. And so you can, you can have compassion for that person in addiction, of course, but you know, you can't be in a loving relationship if you don't love yourself, period. A hundred percent. And even going back to Gabor, I was listening to podcasts that he was on a little while ago, but he was saying when people are in those cycles and you just sticking by them is not going to help them get through it. You can say, I love you so much. Like if you need something from me, you know, fine, but I can't be around you if this is what's going to happen. Like I need to protect myself, but I still have all the love and compassion and I'm not judging you or pushing you to do anything. I know this is your thing to go through on your own, but I can't, you know, sit there with it. Exactly. So how would this person in codependency begin to like utilizing the work or utilizing a therapist, et cetera, to move out of that? Because I could see that person hearing this maybe, or, or someone who identifies in that going like, oh God, that makes so much sense, but staying. Yeah. I think this is where pain is the great motivator because, you know, I, I hate this, but this is the whole thing with, with rock bottoms, Right that sometimes we need to be so shaken in our life or have experienced enough pain. Like what is that person's threshold? Four years? Is it eight years? Is it 12? What point that your soul kind of dries up (laughs) out of pain and then you go, okay, I have to do something because I'm dying here. One motivator for me that was huge in my life was Gabor Mate's book, When the Body Says No, when I was deep and, you know, I no longer have autoimmune disease, but at one point I did. And understanding that there are real physical consequences to the unhealthy dynamics we stay stuck in true, real physical consequences. And, and that was a game changer for me to go, okay, I need to stay alive for my son was like a bottom line for me of leaving my marriage of like, oh my God, my body is falling apart. And then, you know, of course I leave that unhealthy marriage and and then I, I healed and I no longer have autoimmune. So that was huge. But I do think that sometimes pain, if we, when we are truly broken, it almost like softens you. And there's this vulnerability there in our brokenness, in our rock bottom, in our pain, where there's this opening to kind of pierce through our defense mechanisms and we're willing to see the truth about ourselves. Talk more about that. 
Because I'm even, when you say, like, through our defense mechanism, I'm thinking even, like, microdosing. Like, that's kind of what. Yeah, heart openers. Yeah. Yeah, like, opening, oh, I can, like, kind of objectively see what's going on here without getting so wrapped up in the nitty-gritty of it. Right, right. And I think that's what that rock-bottom brokenness does or microdosing or anything that gets us into our heart. Sometimes there's people, even in addiction, where there's, like, they're in it and their defense mechanisms are so built. I mean, they're so protected. And then they go through a rock bottom and there's this little crack for the truth to come through and their willingness to go, oh man. And there's so many different types of defense mechanisms. But yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the, I I hate it. I hate that pain gets us to wake up, but it is, there's this, it's a vehicle for us to be so honest with ourselves. For the person who has really strong defense mechanisms, I'm kind of piecing together that that likely comes out of a place of like survival from trauma. Totally. And they are defensive because part of them feels like in the dynamic they don't like that's happening, some need is getting met. Or that they're safe. Yeah, like that could be the need is this is safe. How can they start to figure out that they can get that need met elsewhere? Maybe the need is like if they're codependent and anxiously attached, then they get, oh, okay, this person, like, we'll see with me. Like, I have constant attention from this person. How can they start to pull that back and say, okay, wait, I can give myself that? Or what's a healthy dynamic of that look like? I think resourcing, like the safety eyes this morning. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That safe person in that DI. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, gosh, that's such a good question because it feels like you can't make anybody change. You can't. You you just can't. But this is my big question. I don't have an answer to, but it's like, gosh, why do some people, I'm like, really, that's your rock bottom? Like that? (laughs) How far does it go? And why some people can change quicker or take accountability quicker. And and maybe that I'm answering my own question, but I do feel like early childhood trauma, you know, the, the more early childhood trauma person has, the bigger their defense mechanisms get. But yeah, at some point, even if it just starts with a little bit, I mean, I feel like this work cracks people open and it just like you know, you go deeper and deeper and deeper and you can see a different way. I also think that there's some people where they're just, let's say, you know, somebody that's an addict, they don't understand that life could be truly so much better on the other side and they don't see a way out of it. Of going through all the pain. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They really can't see. They're like, no, this is the only way that I know how to live. How to function. Yeah. Yeah, They can't, they can't see past their current paradigm. And it takes that rock bottom where it's like, okay, I have to figure out a other way, even though I can't see it, I'm trusting that there's going to be one. I have to say that I would imagine that this is why I've flocked to a spiritual system such as human design or astrology. And, and why I think this is even a version of a defense mechanism. I'm like, there has to be a reason why 
let's take the three of us on this podcast. The three of us are extremely committed to having the best experience possible in this lifetime on earth, period. Like we just are, we're dedicated to that. We love, we like, wow, life (laughs) is so good and it can be better. (laughs) Like this is incredible. And then, you know, there are many people who are so far from, from any motivation towards that. And so in my mind, as somebody who grew up always wanting to fix someone, always wanting to fix someone, always wanting to heal someone, you know, my own version of codependency, I'm like, there has to be science behind. And we know now there's there's a lot of research behind human behavior, but I'm like, it has to be even more nitty gritty than that. And I think that's why I do love astrology and human design so much because I'm like, oh, an answer because I'm a three, six. That's why yeah. I'm dedicated, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, which is a defense mechanism in itself. But I think this is a question that I philosophize often like you said, that's your rock bottom. God, life can be so good. It can be so good, but it's actually, I think the more, well, what it's like our core narratives, right? Getting back into into that thing that you were teaching us. I feel like that's like such a starting point, our core wound and narrative, getting beyond that and then seeing, building a trust muscle that, oh my gosh, there is light. When I just take these small steps through a little bit of pain or a lot of pain, you know, it's like taking off the Band-Aid at the other side. It's like, oh, this is actually so good. That hurt and that was painful, probably not as bad as I thought it was going to be. But now I've just gotten a little glimpse of how good it is on the other side of this. Okay, I have a little bit of a trust muscle. I think I can do a little bit more of that. And I feel like that's sort of the only way in, you know, when I think of the people I know who cannot get out of their own way. Yeah, or the negative, especially the negative belief of I'm permanently damaged. And then they're just looping, 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 you know. So there's some bigger core narratives that are like, whoa, it's just, you know, specifically that one where I'm like, yeah, I can just sink a person. There's no margin to go up from that if you just like, this is where I'm at. Yeah. I'm hearing too, it kind of sounds like they really need a trust muscle in their own resiliency and their own autonomy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The people that I know that like get stuck in those patterns and cannot move out, they are constantly in this more victim mentality space of the world is happening to me. I can't change anything about it. Well, let's talk about that for just a tiny bit yeah. through a therapeutic lens, because it's something we tiptoe around often. The V word is a such, it's such a triggering word for so many people, victim. And I think that many people I know that are thriving in manifestation have had to look at that word and have to look at the shadow and then and then have to be move into the place of empowerment. But what is going on in the mentality or or the wound of somebody who who is in that space of not having empowerment or autonomy over their feelings, their emotions, um, and they do think everything's happening to them? Okay, so again, early childhood trauma develops, you know, these major defense mechanisms. And there's such a long sliding scale of what that looks like to to the point where someone's truly pathological and their defense mechanisms are so built up where there's, there's not a lot of piercing through to that. But just for your average person, you know, we all have defense mechanisms. And I would say specifically with the victim one, 
people that had that victim mentality in their adult lives, 100% were a victim in childhood. And they were true victims. I think it's important to recognize to the victim, like, yes, you were, you really were a real, a true victim. You could not leave your mom and dad in that dynamic. Like you were a true victim there. And validating that I think can help them shift out to, okay, but I'm no longer a victim now. I'm an adult. I can choose who I'm in relationship with or what dynamics or what conversations or all the things that I do. I'm in charge of everything. I was a victim, but I'm no longer a victim. Yeah, that one, you know, gets really reinforced over and over again. And it's a tricky one. But once they, you know, I've seen people once they've shifted out of that, like really validating their victim inner child, where they feel that inner child feels so seen and validated and soothed, and then they move out of it. It's freaking amazing. It's so cool. It's the coolest thing to see when someone steps out of their victim and they can name it. It's so beautiful. I love that you said that because I think that's a part of the conversation that I haven't really heard out there before. Like I've heard a lot of podcasts and self-help things talk about like get out of victim mentality. The world is happening for you, not to you. And like that's great in theory, but like there's a reason why people are identifying with that. And I think you just nailed it with just there is a reason because something did happen and they should be acknowledging that and validating that and giving compassion to that before they can just bulldoze over it and jump out of it. 100%. That's so, I mean, I just love that you are a victim because you were a victim. And I think that's so beautiful. And like everything else, having to heal and address your inner child before you can move on and and manifest. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Kind of getting back to what you were saying, Lacey, about this idea of like, okay, we just have this sort of thirst for like, you know, how can we get better and experience more of a life and more joy? You know, we're always kind of looking for the upside of things and the the spontaneity of life or whatever. Part of that is in that cycle habit, the cue, craving, response, reward, the reward felt so good every time we stepped out of our comfort zone. And it's kind of like building that trust muscle. Every time we were like, oh, this feels uncomfortable. It's hard to move through. But whoa, look at this whole new level of self-authenticity I can express and feel in this lifetime. This feels amazing. It's so satisfying to have that. The feeling of a manifestation come through, I feel like I cry every time because I'm I'm so like in awe and shocked it works and you feel just so connected to everything in those moments. You're like, oh my gosh, it all really is. That trust muscle grows stronger and stronger each time. How can people start to reinforce their trust muscle in this space? You know, in the journal to go back and reinforce, like to go back through old manifestations lists. I'm sure you guys do. I, I go back to mine and I'm like, yeah, oh my God. To go back and see that came through, that came, like literally every little thing came through on this list. That is amazing for me, like seeing it and then feeling into that feeling kind of reinforces it in my body to keep moving forward. Yeah. And everybody get very excited because we're releasing a new <laughs> a new workshop in um, October that really, you know, this is just a little piece of it, but also explains the science behind why and the neuroplasticity behind why and why it's so important. Because I think when people are on this process, they don't take the little wins. 
like mm-hmm. enough. And that's the only way you're going to be the expander for yourself outside of your current state of being. It's the only way. That is exactly it. What are all the little things? What are the kismet things that came through? What are the ways that you said no? What are the ways that you set a boundary? What are the ways that you have grown? Those are all part of the process. You have to honor those little moments as well because they are showing you how resilient you are, how when you put your needs first and what your desires are, that you can be rewarded and you can feel that resilience and autonomy internally. All of those are part of the manifestation process. Agreed. As we're talking like on reflection, you know, I think it is my path as a three, six to have to walk through the literal shit in order to turn it into magic. I think about I stopped being a doormat and dating because I was sick of my own bullshit. That it came to that point where I was like, someone give me the answer. Like, I'm sick of this. I don't want to be in this pattern. Like, give yeah, me pain. Pain. You know, it's pain. It's always pain. It's a transformation. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just really important to to name that and, and talk about that. That all we're sitting here and we're saying, like, the three of us are so motivated because, you know, life is is great and we know it can be better. But I know for myself, it's really important to say. I went through five years of infertility before Teddy could cut. It's like, I was really, really, really broke for 10 years before I started to make anything that resembled something over $400 a week and money. So it's like, when you figure out that you are sick of your own bullshit or you have to walk through the mud and the muck, whether it's being handed to you, you're being tested that way, whatever, and you unblock out of it, you expand out of it, and you begin to start to see some manifestations and you're like, oh, that's my pattern. If I do this and this, good things happen. You are more motivated to keep going. So I just really want to say that like I got sick of my own bullshit and that's why things changed. And and I think probably the three of us sitting here, it's the same. I remember in my marriage, I felt so trapped. Like I truly felt like I was in prison. And when I left, I was like, oh my God, the key to leave was in my pocket the whole damn time, the whole damn time. Uh, Cause I had to face my martyr. And that was like, I think it shifted everything for me where I'm like, the key is always in the pocket. I'm always the one, you know, just responsible for what's coming or not. And, and knowing that I have the key in my pocket to change everything and anything, it's at first might, that might feel overwhelming. And then it is like the most empowering thing to go, why am I stuck? Okay. There's no one else responsible for this dynamic, but me. And then how do I get myself out? And it's doing that same work every time. And on the, I know on the other side, I'm going to always be so much more happy and abundant and all the things. Yeah. I I really identify with you, Lacey, when you're like, oh, if we just did this, like we could fix this or upgrade it. And it's so funny because this past week I've been home going through all my childhood stuff. I had mood boards when I was like eight (laughs) years old. I was like, my husband will drive this car and we'll have this. (laughs) Like, It was wild. It's just so funny seeing all that stuff. Like I had sketches of what my grandma could do for her interior design to make the house a little bit more light and airy. Like, it's just so funny what your child's brain does. But I was definitely always looking at like, how do we fix this? How do we upgrade this? Like, how can I take sort of control here? And I think part of that is I didn't feel in control. So I was like, cool, let me figure out how to take control and make change myself. 
But then part of that helped me with resiliency. And then so in those moments and chapters of life where I did feel stuck, where I felt like, oh, I keep settling for the same dynamics. When you make that decision of like, whoa, 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 I'm just getting caught in this loop. I have the choice here. Exactly what you said, Janelle. It's like, oh, right. I have the keys to the kingdom. Whatever I was so scared of happening by leaving this loop that was, you know, not what I wanted, I felt so much more empowered. It was never as scary as I thought it was going to be. All my worst fears of it didn't even matter anymore. You're so relieved of that pressure. It's like you're in a pressure cooker almost before you, you have that tipping point. Yeah, totally. So interesting. Well, lots to dive into for everyone here. We'll share some journal prompts in the show notes of basically how you guys can go through this. But I think the main thing here and the summary of the episode is really start to take inventory. Where are you settling? I'll repeat the checklist again in the outro, but really where are you settling? Where are you holding on to things that aren't in alignment? It could be as big as a relationship that's not for you or a job that's not for you. And it could be as small as... I spend too much time on my phone and I keep doing it and doing it and I can't get out of my own way to put my phone down. It could be something like that or it could be like really wanting to get out in nature more, but you're not doing it. Where are the ways that you're doing that? What is the need that you're meeting by still doing it? How can you meet your own need? And then what is the root belief beneath that and start to unblock? And that is going to be so key and keep track of everything that comes through so you can build your trust muscle. And just remember, your key out of this is in your pocket. (laughs) You got this. You're not alone. All of us have been through this, stuck in a bad pattern, a ridiculous pattern, a silly pattern, an embarrassing pattern. But I love that. That should be our our quote. Your key was always in your pocket to get out. It's in your pocket. Mm -hmm. Love it. Yes, it is. Thank you both so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye. See you next time. Bye. hope you guys enjoyed that one. I know there are so many tidbits and takeaways and I'm really kind of simmering on what are those things that show up for me. Even now, you know, there's so many things that I am able to take the action with, but where are those little elements where I am stuck and how can I push through to the other side, but unblocking. So just wanted to recap for everyone too, in case you want to take notes or really want to think about it again. Our checklist, how to spot when you're in your own way. The same tests are repeating over and over again. A similar dynamic, person, energetic keeps showing up, but your response to it is the same or it is not evolving. You make excuses for why a dynamic is different or worth putting up with, but what is presenting is still not what you desire. You're stuck in the fantasy of what could be versus what's actually presenting. You're minimizing the impact of continuing to settle for this dynamic now. And most importantly, you know deep down that you deserve more but are settling. Feel shame or small about the situation, aka it is a test, but you keep running into the fire. That's how you can identify if you were in this And then if we think about that habit creation cycle, the cue, craving, response, reward from James Clear Atomic Habits, thinking of those four things, how are you getting a reward 
from engaging in this behavior? And how can you shift that reward? How can you create a new cue, a new craving, a new response, and know that that reward, even though it is coming later, it is like down the line satisfaction and not immediate satisfaction, it is way worth it to hold out for. Build that trust muscle, move through that magic dark period. And then you hear just a couple journal prompts for anyone who is kind of working through this who can start to think about, okay, now I know that I'm doing this. I know that I want to change this. Okay. I'm seeing the benefit I'm getting from the current situation. I want to shift it. So start to ask yourself these questions. Where are you settling for this dynamic again and again, that does not align with yourself? So one, bring forward the dynamic. What do you keep repeating that doesn't align with your authentic self? Two, what are the consequences of continuing to repeat this pattern? If you kept repeating this pattern forever and it never, ever changed, what are you giving up? What opportunities are you missing out on? What manifestations would you miss out on? Really think about that. Three, what is the need that this dynamic is attempting to provide or is providing? Four, is there a more aligned way that you could get this dynamic or need met that is more aligned with what you truly desire, aka find expanders? Five, what is that root subconscious belief beneath that dynamic? What are you believing about yourself in order to work out this dynamic? And how can you go back into the Unblock DI, the Triggers DI, Inner Child Workshop DIs to really work through and nurture your inner child and any shadow work that needs to be done so this subconscious belief is not as strong anymore? I also want to remind you guys that we do have the unblocking challenge available in the pathway until the end of September. If you do want to jump in and utilize that, especially with walking through anything that you can't get out of your way with, I highly recommend it. You can easily complete it from now until the end of the month. So be sure to check that out. And if you're not in the pathway, it's a great time to sign up. Don't forget you can use code expanded for $20 off your first month. And we will see you guys next week. Bye.